Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Poddleters. I hope you're doing really well. Today's episode is really exciting, I think. And it kind of challenged me a little bit because it's with Jordan Schwarzenberger. He is 22 years old. He worked at Vice from 17, then Lad Bible from 19 or 20, I think. And now he works at YMNU, which is one of the world's biggest talent agencies. And a lot of our conversation is talking about why you're never too young to get started. But I'm actually changing the episode title to why you do, why do you not need to go to university? Because actually, our conversation ends up centering around that. And it's something which I found initially quite interesting, as obviously, I'm an ex university student or graduate, as people normally call us. And I guess I'd never really entertained this rhetoric too much, because it is slightly affronting. Anyway, I think you could learn loads from Jordan, I certainly have in the only two times that I've met him. So I hope you really do enjoy it. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Bye. Hi, guys, and welcome to Adulting. This week, I'm joined by Jordan Schwarzenberger. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Did I say that correctly? You said that correctly. It's a very did. cool you, name. You nailed it, and not everyone does, so oh, that was great. Thank you so much. I do have a bit of practice with difficult <laughs> yeah, names. Yeah, it's all good. You rehearsed yes. it, it's fine. I yeah, it. I know I did before. She did tell anyone. Okay, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what you've done, etc.? Yeah, so um, so yeah, my name's Jordan, um, and I currently am the Chief Business Development Officer at YMU Group, which is formerly known as James Grant, um, which is kind of the biggest uh, talent management company for elite clients in sport, music, drama, entertainment um, in the UK and Europe, and also in America. Before that, I had my own business called Roundabout, which was like a Gen Z youth marketing company, because um, at the time I was 20, now I'm 22, so I was at a point where I'd worked at, well, previously before then, I'd worked at Vice uh, in their creative agency straight out of school, and then Lab Bible, uh, in which I kind of went over there to help build their kind of agency from scratch and replicate the Vice model. So I'd had all this experience in the industry, and for me it was like, how can I bottle that and turn it into a product, which is where Roundabout came about. Um, as, yeah, this Gen Z, the first kind of Gen Z marketing mm. agency in the UK. And from there, James Grant, and that's where I am now. So age, what age did you start going into the working world? So I was 17. That's crazy. Yeah, for, officially, like I said, well, when I was at Vice, I was 17, because it was, um, I mean, I remember, <laughs> it's a funny story. Basically, I was, um, I, I was at school, and I'd done... All of my applications for uni was that thing, like your kind of final year, everyone's mm. going, oh, I'm going to go to King's, or I'm going to go to UCL, I'm going to go to Leeds or Birmingham or whatever. And something never quite sat right with me about that. And I don't know what it was, but there was like an instinct that was telling me, all right, find something else, find something else, find something else. Don't feel like you have to go down that uni kind of road just because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Um, and so what I did is I looked online and I thought, okay, what companies out there might I want to work for what companies do I look at and say okay that they're doing amazing work and I want to be a part of it Vice was like top of my list it was like must have been like 2014 15 and they were obviously killing it at the time mm. I think a little bit less so now but they were killing it at the time so I emailed everyone at Vice that I could find their emails for it must be about 20 people and I put them all in an email and said like my name's Jordan this is who I am can I come and do some work experience with you and then to my surprise I just thought right if I scatter to 20 people at least one will say yes yeah Two people said yes, which was great. And I ended up going in to meet a, a woman called Amelia Abraham, who left to then go go to Refinery29. She's been doing amazing stuff yeah. um, in the industry. But she was like, yeah, cool. Let me introduce you to a guy called Ian Richardson, who works in the creative agency. And yeah, you guys take it from there. So I was like, all right, cool, great. You've just come in, come in for a coffee. And that's led to me meeting Ian. And I met Ian, we got on really well. And he was like, yeah, just come in and spend your wow. summer here if you want do what you want to do so I was like awesome went to Glastonbury that week turned 18 on the Sunday on the Saturday even uh, and then started my first week um the week after Glastonbury 2015 wow. um yeah 
that, do you know what's so incredible about that is? I think all of us, even applying for like a shop in a, a job in River Island or something part time, you always feel like I don't have enough experience or no one's going to be interested in me yeah. because I'm not going to have the ability to get out there. But you, when you applied, mm. I, I imagine that your CV wasn't rammed with experience or had I mean, you done stuff? I'd done a few bits. I mean, I think what was great about, you know, growing up in my teen years, so to speak, and what I was doing at my school was they gave, the school gave me such an amazing freedom to try stuff, do projects, use the resources. So I did about three or four like little ventures. Like I made music, I had my music phase where I was like creating music and rapping and doing all that sort of stuff. And I was like 13, 14, which was just awful, but hilarious. <laughs> um, and, you know, after that, I had a film magazine called Lost VHS, which I ran, which sort of, you know, I, had, I was really big into film. I had a film phase. I went to film and, and you know, we managed to get screenings. And I pulled in a few other wow. friends who kind of were film nerds as well. And we ran a blog for a while. And then I started a clothing company called Black Mountain Clothing because Schwarzenberger means man of the Black Mountain. So I thought, okay, that could be kind of a cool thing. Ran that for a bit. And so I'd done these projects, which all were based around brand building mm. was the theme. So then when I, when I was 17, it was, okay, do I go to uni straight? And I did end up going to uni, but I mean, I can say about that in a minute, but um, you know, what do I do? I knew that Vice was great at the brand building side of yeah. things and they had the idea of aesthetic and, you know, how to build a cool brand is the Vice DNA in a sense. So how did you get that initiative when you're at school? Do you think you've just always been this kind of creative person? Because I think I was a very much, as much as I am now as I'm getting older, I realised that I have the resources and like the, the mind to do things, but I was very scared to do things mm. outside of the box because I very much felt like there's only one path to take. Mm. And if I strayed too far from that, like I was going to ruin my whole life. Completely. And, and you know, I mean, the amount of people who have, I think that's probably the most common experience that mm. the young people feel is this sense of like, okay, well, if I don't do what I've been told I need to do, if I don't do the, the sort of straight and narrow, then I'm screwed and that life's going to be a failure. And I think for me, what was, you know, I... I had a bit of that. I mean, as I said, I still end up going to uni, even though I went from went for 12 weeks, dropped out, record time, lasted a semester at King's, and it was the worst experience, so I hated it yeah. every, every minute of it. But I feel like even me going was a sign that there was still a part of me that wanted felt to like kind had of... To felt like I had to conform a little bit, or I would have just said, you know, screw it, I'm going to go for it. Um, and yeah, I feel like for me, I've always had, I guess, the proclivity to try stuff and go for it and and you know for whatever reasons that that might be I'm not 100% but I've always gone for stuff and if I had an idea I'm like right how do I make it happen like my clothing company I remember I was sitting at home um talking to my dad about okay what business can I start like, I want to mm. start something and thought okay let me I remember one one time it was like okay let me look on Alibaba and see if I can drop ship argan oil because argan oil is a really good product and then wow. from there it's back into like right let me start a clothing company and do t-shirts because a friend of mine um, Adam Warren um, was running an amazing company called Alcatraz Beach Club at my school so I was like okay really inspired by that let me try something and then you know ordered the products in like tried to just made something happen I feel like I've always had that thing but um but still a part of me 100% did think I still needed to conform and do that uni thing I actually um, want to ask you a little bit more about uni because I think it's really important first of all I think a lot of people don't like university I think it's glorified to be like everyone's like your uni is the best years of your life but so many people find it really alienating they feel homesick mm. what was it for you specifically that you just felt like this wasn't for you well I think it was you know I was I was living at home so I was in London I didn't do the, the Manchester Leeds Bristol yeah. vibe um I didn't go out and I think I'm glad I'm so glad that I didn't because I think if I had, I would have got wrapped up in a lot of the mm. lifestyle challenges that people who go to those unis face and me being somebody that had loads of, it was sociable and liked to go out and like to do stuff, being at those, in those environments would have been really toxic and I'm glad I didn't because, um, yeah, London Uni, I don't know, did you go to London Uni? No, I went to Cardiff, but right. yeah, London's they're not very, like a uni. Uh, they're very tame. Yeah. And there's a lot of foreign students who like to do their work and go home. So you don't have that same kind of party energy that you do up in some of the others. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I think uni, my uni experience was awful because it was the juxtaposition of being at Vice every Friday while I was at uni. So I'd worked there all summer, started at uni in September, but then I was at Vice, I was working there every Friday while I was at uni, doing my uni, uni course four days of the week and then doing Vice on the Friday. And there was something that really didn't click right. My degree was called digital culture of all things. Um, and it didn't click right about being at uni, studying so-called digital culture, yeah. and then actually working it, working in it on the Friday, and seeing just how much better, how much more in, in touch, obviously, Vice would be mm. than some uni lecturers who, you know, they tried, but the reality is they hadn't worked in the industry for how many years. They didn't really understand the culture. So that juxtaposition after after twelve weeks just became too glaringly not yeah. right for me. 
I think you're so right. And I, I kind of spoke about this to you when we first met about how I'd love to go and study subjects. Like I'd love mm. to go and study anthropology. But what's the point of doing a degree when, first of all, especially with sciences and things, all the information is like seven years old because it takes seven years, I think, to get through to be like legislatively viable to teach and I think we all get stuck into this mindset that you have to go through a formal version of education to Mm. achieve this height but what I find really impressive and really um, inspiring about you is that you're 22 and you're in a really respectable it's not just that you're working with these big companies you're properly respected and given a lot of responsibility despite the fact that you haven't got a master's or a PhD or whatever we associate with kind of like normal respectable do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. completely. Not that you're not respectable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes. But no, I, I appreciate that. I think um, I think you're right. I think it's the biggest lie people t- say to, to anyone who wants to get into the creative industries is that they need a degree. And I mean, I must be responsible for about five to six people and convincing them that the uni's not right and then dropping out. So their parents will probably not be the happiest at me. But... I think I've, because of my experience, I've I've built a very, very strong argument in my head that is unshakable that uni is a massive waste of time for mm. the vast majority of people. And the two things that you need to go to uni really are time and money. And most people don't have the money and most people definitely don't have the time. And I think a lot of people, when they come out of uni or they are kind of in their second, third years, they realize, shit, I don't have any, I don't have the time. And I think, you know, the amount of friends I have are in massive amounts of debt. The amount yeah. of friends I have who have come out and they're in a worse position than when they st- than when they started and before they started is staggering and I think what that does to people on a mental health level as much as anything else is pretty intense because it's it's like you've been built up and you've been told okay go to uni you'll be fine go to uni you'll be fine get your degree you'll be fine get a 2-1 yeah. you'll be alright and you come out at the end and you're not mm. and you can't get a job and you're back at home and your parents are having to go at you because you're like why don't you get a job but you know you can't and actually it's really difficult when you're 23, 24 years old and you're struggling to make it even though everyone's told you that doing what you would have done yeah. will get you to a point where you can make it. And it's almost this weird like resentment, betrayal feeling, I think, I sense in a lot of people who've gone through that process and come out the other side and just feel like, look, I've been lied to by yes, my parents, totally. by my society, by my uni, into thinking that I'll be okay, especially in the creative industry. I think it's different if you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a lot and you need to go through that yeah. road. But for the vast majority of people that I know anyway who want to get into creative subjects, get into you know media get into social get into tv you know they go through this road and they don't end up where they want where they believe that they should have ended up yeah. and i think that's a really tough thing for people to reconcile i think you're completely right and i think one of the reasons is technology advances so quickly that it advances at a much quicker pace than any mm. kind of legislation can keep up with so for as long as that's happening education like formal education is always going to stand really far behind that and I think uh, it's interesting for me to listen to you because I I can't remember what I've said on this podcast but I definitely was like I loved my degree I feel like I learned Mm. loads in an analytical sense and in some ways but then I'm looking back and thinking I'm a middle-class privately educated person who probably could have had the time like the way we looked at uni and my friends Mm. when I was younger was kind of like oh it gives you a bit more time to choose was actually as you say for most people it's not It's not like a chill, like, oh, we're just going to have another few years to figure what I'm going to do. I need to actually like, get down and, and be earning good money by the time I'm 25 because it's it, it, people don't have, like, families that they can necessarily live with or, like, do you know what I mean? It's a completely different conversation. 100%. I feel like it's a middle-class luxury, yeah. the uni experience. And, you know, being from, like, Crouch End in North London and being from quite a middle-class background and having friends who are all from, from that world, I think they had the privilege to be able to go yeah. and waste four years when most people across the country don't have that time. Yeah. And, you know, I think they almost become entitled as a result because they feel like, hold on a minute, you know, I've spent my four years doing this and I should be at a point in which they clearly aren't. And I think, as I said, it it creates a really weird sense of anxiety and and misplacement. But I definitely think it's a middle class luxury and a privilege. And you know what? The other thing, and this is what parents have no concept of, is what really, really goes on at unis. And having, you know, mm. been at, while I was at Lab Bible, having friends in first year, second year, third year, having a little bit of money, being able to travel around the country, I did it. And I did it really intensely for like two years. And every weekend I was at a different uni visiting different groups of friends. And the stuff that goes on, you know, the drugs, mm. the alcohol, the depression, the anxiety, all the stuff which parents have zero concept yeah. of would be enough to make any parent, I believe, say to their kids, there's no way you're going to university. Yeah, I think because, I think especially because of British culture, like everything is so repressed. So like there's a lot of shame around talking about mm. sex. There's no one, no one's parents, well, you might have parents talk about drugs. I would definitely talk to my kids about drugs now. Mm. But, and no one really talks about alcohol 
alcohol, we drink really late. I just think because of that, then when you get shoved into uni and you're free, mm. everyone goes absolutely wild. And as you say, like it is a breeding ground of a course people are going to get mental health issues. Yeah. Like that first year of uni is designed, It's all, but it's almost like, I think they do know, it's almost like they go, okay, have a year, mm. fuck around, and then... Get, Why it doesn't count to your final result, right? Yeah, I'm but correct. that's when you when you think about it, it is weird. Like it would be a much better <laughs> societally if we kind of had a much more relaxed approach to everything. And it mm. was, yeah, it's really interesting looking like that. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, I just think it's you know, as most people, I think who if you've gone to if you've gone to Leeds, if you've gone to Manchester, mm. if you've gone to Bristol, if you've gone to Nottingham, if you've gone to Sheffield, if you've gone to Newcastle, you can list them all. They have a similar culture, and the culture is built around going out, getting smashed, doing loads of drugs, yeah. and getting fucked up, and then you know missing your lectures in the morning, and sort of you know it's it's a really awful culture that is consistent, and I think. People go there really, and I think, you know what, if you're 18 and you want to be honest with yourself, you have the time, you're, let's say, right, I'm not too fussed about career, about my career, I don't really want to get into this stuff, and you also have the money to do it, and you're willing to either get into debt or you've got parents who are bankrolling you, and you're like, you know what, I just want to go and have fun for the next three, four years, and get pissed, and meet loads of people, and have a good time, fine, but at least be honest about mm. it. The problem is a lot of people go, and I, I feel, to uni, and they're not honest about why they're there. Um, and I, t- I try and say when I've got young, you know, younger people are in a position where people sometimes come f- come to me for advice mm-hmm. and like, you know, what should I do? And I try and urge them to really think about that. Is it worth the four years or the three years to go and get smashed for that time and have fun? Is it worth it? Even as you're saying this, I almost bet for me once go, no, no, no. But actually, like now you said it, I do agree. I think your work ethic doesn't kick in until much later. I mm-hmm. don't think uni, uni didn't teach me to get up early and work hard. Being freelance did. Being freelancers taught me, like, you've got to get up, go out and get that mm. money. You're not reliant on anyone. Going to uni was, as you say, being hungover, get, waking up at 11, not mm. going to lectures if it was raining so didn't want to go outside, <laughs> ordering food to my flat, yeah. asking my parents for money, pretending it was for something else and spending it on pizza. Yeah. Like, that was literally my uni experience. And it wasn't until I moved to London and mm. suddenly I had the responsibility of being like, fuck, I've really got to pull my shit together. Mm that that came in and I, I can imagine that a lot of people will be the same as me like listening to you and thinking no 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 <laughs> but actually now you've said it I do completely agree and I also do think you're right it keeps you in an adolescence for longer 100%. and in, in some ways I guess that's good because like you don't want to miss out on these things but I do think it takes away that sense of responsibility it lets you like float mm. for a little bit which is why I think this podcast exists because especially people who graduated you come out of uni you're 23 24 have a old and you're like what the fuck is this because you've been in this limbo state mm. where you're not really an adult and you don't really have any responsibility but you're also told that you are an adult and you yeah. do and that's the thing it's you know when people say oh go to uni because it teaches you independence teaches you how to live on your own and I think some of that's true and you know I don't want to completely shit on the uni experience but I just know for so many people that I know personally they come out of uni less developed from a maturity level and less adulted if mm. you will than if they'd have 100% if they'd have started work before and got straight into it so what would you say to people who might argue back and go, oh, no, but you were able to get this because you had whatever. Not that you had it, mm. but I think a lot of people's attitude is things are down to luck. Even I used to say this about myself, and mm. then I look back and go, actually, no, I, I worked for that. That wasn't really luck. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of people go, oh, you're a one in a million, or there's not many people who would have the motivation. Mm. Do you think that is, there is a, obviously people that are more adept to it, or do you think that if we changed our attitudes towards the way that we look at work and, like, it sounds like you really enjoy your job and you have a lot of autonomy within it, which mm. means that you don't look at your career in the same way that people look at a nine to five. It's like a, your part of your life. You know what? I, but I think I, that hasn't always been the case. And you know what? It, it, for a lot of my careers, you know, being at Labrick or being at Vice or even running my own, you know, I haven't always been in a position which has been like, oh, this is the funnest thing mm. in the world. I think I've been lucky enough to be in an environment that's, that is fun and it's great and it's media, it's creative. I've worked with amazing brands and had loads of fun doing it. Um, but the reality is it hasn't always been that way. And I've got to the position now of having gone through that starting point where you are the intern. Well, you know, I was working for free for six weeks, which I know is a luxury and a privilege to be able to do because mm. I can live with my parents. But I worked for free for six, for my whole summer and I was there from nine o'clock till like, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the evening. I was really working hard for it. And that led to them being, you know, considered for an internship and then being considered for a full-time role. And I think one thing that I've also noticed with a lot of people that that I know personally is is there's almost this this thing of, can I jump? Can I jump the sort of the process? Can yeah. I get a head start? And uh, you know, for my gut, there isn't a head start, which is why for me, I think 
the younger you can start, yeah. the better it is. Because with the younger you are, you're more you're more used to school. You're more used to being in an environment where you can you can take a nine to five. You can go through those sort of early stages to then be at a point where by 24, 25, you have a lot more autonomy and you're in a position of of, of power or some kind of sort of legitimacy because you've been running it and you've been doing stuff for the last five years. I think you're completely right. And actually, you're just making me have a whole like 180. Because I'm thinking about uni and the contact hours that I had. I think I had like nine hours a week. And I had seven. You're paying however much it was what was it nine grand a, a term I think I worked out yeah year. it was like it was it's nine grand a year it was yeah, three yeah. grand a term it was 40 pounds a session that's when I worked it was like I, I remember it because it was near when I was like dropping out and I just thought to myself I was like let me work it out see how much I'm actually paying for you know the seminars and lectures and it was 40 pounds a session which when I think about it is a lot of money mm. and it's like what would I have done if I had taken all that money wait for you if you had a seven contact hours a week that was seven, 40 it was, like that. it was seven or nine contact hours that I it had it must be cost more than that surely what's that 280 a week 252 I'm sure it would be more than that maybe, wouldn't I mean, it maybe I can't do the maths in, in my head it was well, whatever I worked out it was around 40 pounds okay. I think per session or maybe but even if it's more that's even worse yeah. right and I worked this out obviously about four or five years ago um, but what, what it was still a lot and it was too much and mm. that was the point it was when I broke it down I was like okay this is how much I'm paying per week and you know for the value that I was getting and the quality of what I was receiving from from the lecturers and the team there it was not mm. worth the money in the slightest no. and I thought, hold on a minute what if I could have put that money into you know investing in a company or starting my own business or you know learning something else on, on the side and you know what this is where I think you know we're talking about I guess what, what's the future for all of this and how how the next generation going to be and being someone who's 22 and seeing how some of the younger kids are coming up I think the shift is going to happen to the point where university will for a lot of careers become redundant I yeah. think people are getting that because people don't have that luxury anymore to say I have the time if you think about the skill sets that some of the kids are growing up with they're you know they can code at 10 years old yeah. they you know have intricate knowledge and, and expertise around a number of industries whether it's gaming whether it's film whatever it is you know they've spent their lives on the internet and as a result they've had access to endless amounts mm. of information and resource they're learning and, and becoming skilled up younger and younger which is what I think I had, I had the benefit of doing from starting my clothing yeah. company or whatever and I think that's happening more and more more kids are going into apprenticeships which is amazing because you start off and you're just in there straight away which is 100% the right thing to do and more kids are starting their own businesses I mean the amount of kids who you know, come out with their own products, are designing their own games, are, you know, making their own clothing companies and, you know, being entrepreneurs. I think that, you know, the the reality that they haven't got the time, but they also have the skills early yeah. that a lot of companies are looking for in, in people, um, whether that is social media expertise or, you know, coding, whatever it is, they can just go and do it themselves. It's so incredible. And I guess, like with you, it's so you're so right as well. And I was just thinking about how, I mean, we spoke about this before mm. as well, but just the way that education works, it is it doesn't, it just doesn't fit into society anymore, which is kind of why I set up this podcast, because all the things that I need to know about, whether that's like systemic racism or feminism, I didn't learn, I did learn a bit about feminism, but like useful tools to help me be like a good member of society mm. were not taught to me at university. And really now, because of the internet, you don't need the practical skills that we exactly. used to need. Well, we where need... did you find out all that stuff? Probably from YouTube, probably yeah. from blogs, probably from Twitter or from other sort of sources, but it was probably on the internet. The internet has killed university. Yeah. It has, because if you think about it, like what, what can you find out at university that you can't find out online? Online, and when you um, when you were working at Lab Bible and Vice and stuff, was everyone mm. working that kind of under thirty or quite young? Um, no, I think um, I think you know Vice was. I'd say the average age was about twenty eight. I'd say maybe twenty seven. Quite and you know as an average, I think I was I was the youngest at Vice. Yeah. Um, when I was there, there was yeah, I was seventeen, the youngest, and Lad was the youngest as well. Can I ask you about Lab Bible? Of course you can. Was it very laddie? Was it was it very laddie? Um, you know what? It I think at the start, yeah, yeah. I think the the brief for us was to change that, yeah. Which I think we. So you were to on do. that. That was your mission. Part of yeah. I mean, so so I was brought in um, with Ian. So Ian came in as the MD of the of the branded content agency there called Joyride, which we later called it. Um, and then you know over the over the next sort of six months to a year, what we were trying to do was to change that culture. Um, both inside, but also, you know, from a sort of abstract ex consumer facing level, can we make Lab Bible inclusive? Can we make Lab Bible progressive? Because if you think about it, and this was always the thing for me when, if ever I've been sort of asked about, you know, it's it's pretty shitty past. And I always said Lab mm. Bible had a fucking awful history, and they did terrible stuff in the bum day, mum days, and the teacher, whatever shit they used to do was awful. But when you've got a base of thirty million people yeah. on your platform, that's real power. And can use that for good was always the thing that I thought. 
So when we were there, like it was, you know, how do we make lads, the, the idea of a lad mm. inclusive to represent anyone? Like who, what does a lad stand for? It's somebody who is a sort of everyday hero, somebody who makes positive change, someone who wants to drive kind of your know, positivity, happiness, like support their friends. Like that makes a lad in a sense. You can, you can look at it like that. And can we turn, can we flip that Bible on its head and make it so that lad is a positive and not a negative? And that was led a lot of that by Stephen Mai, who is a good friend of mine, who then went on to sort of be the CMO of Boiler Room. He was formerly at ID. He was brought in to do that and he did an amazing job and even things like you know trash aisles which is an amazing campaign that we ran um that was all about raising awareness for the crazy amounts of plastic in the ocean by trying there's a massive basically there's a massive land of plastic that sits in the ocean that is bigger than some countries oh my god and so what we did and this was all led by Stephen, it was an amazing campaign what we did was we petitioned the un to actually get it labeled as a country called the trash aisles um and to then be able to then lobby against getting it getting it destroyed, right? Wow. And taking it away, which managed to do it. And it was amazing. We've got people like Al Gore involved. And it was, I mean, that was like Game Studio won yeah. endless awards. Obviously, it's like campaign fodder, but it did so well. Um, but equally, we did, you know, You're OK, Mate, which is a campaign all around mental health and yeah. trying to get guys to talk and open up. And I think it's, you know, even if you've even if a platform starts with negativity, if you've got that many people, why waste the opportunity mm. to drive positive change? Uh, but that's incredible. I think I do remember both of those campaigns, actually. But I also think, in terms of you saying it has a murky past, I have to say, as much as I'm this, like, woke, lefty, liberal person, I remember laughing at the jokes from Lab Bible. That was of its time. Yeah. We didn't even... Stuff... I was saying to my management earlier, actually, mm. stuff comes up on my Facebook. I'm like, shit, I need to delete that. <laughs> like, comments that we made that were off offhand because mm. it was a different culture and it's things do move on I think you can't blame a platform for being reflective of culture yeah, exactly. what shows great strength is that you then are able to the hardest thing you can do Just I've even found it myself it, right? is change Definitely. and and move that niche and because again the coolest thing about it is if your target demographic is those typical archetypal lads mm. if your if your content then changes and might inspire them to change their mindset if anything the best thing you can do is target that kind of demographic and change it. If only we could do that with like Republicans in America or, Completely. you know, that's that's unbelievably cool to Completely. be able to do that. Yeah. And I think I think it's understanding that with reach comes responsibility, I guess. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that influences, I hate the word, but influencers <laughs> or creators or people with big social followings need to remember. And this is something at YME with all our clients. I, I think a lot of them really get it. It's that with reach comes responsibility. And yeah. that actually you have to harness that for some positive change and some good. Um, and not turn it into a negative mindfulness because mm. it can very easily slip into that. And I think that's what we, that's what, if there's one thing I learned about, about culture at Lab Bible is that you can do that and you can inspire millions of people with a platform to shift in a positive way. And as you say, I think, you know, what are publishers and what are news, news outlets and what, what is media other mm. than being reflective of the society which it's in, right? Otherwise you don't sell. It's all populist. Yeah. So I think it's a sign of the, of the times changing as much as us changing. And I think... Like, yeah, I completely agree. And I think some of the stuff you're touching on, which is one of the biggest things we find, especially I find it with work, is the, is the generational um, disjunct that we feel, especially like working as an influencer, uh, if we're going to use that term, mm. when a brand doesn't understand how important it is. But there was something I saw the other day, this is so funny, Pornhub have a verified couple who they got to do like a video with, but they also went and picked up trash on the beach. Amazing. And they did it as a campaign. And it was like our dirtiest video yet or something. <laughs> And I was like, that's actually fucking cool because mm. I think what people don't get is that as a generation, we're really, in fact, like we really are trying to make change. So what Definitely. we've done is we've, as much as we still operate in this capitalist society, there is always some level of kind of like social movement within it. I don't know. It's just, it, it's definitely evolving. I think we're, we're moving so fast that the generations above us sometimes find it hard to see. And so they don't get it when we're doing certain things. Mm. But even just seeing like how that Pornhub video probably will have more impact than like 100%. a legislation done by, um, I don't know, the government. Because we there's, there's so much, there's such a big chasm of knowledge mm. between the two groups. Completely. I mean, like Pornhub's the number one visited site in the US, right? I think it's the number one visited site really? in, the, in the world. If you look, <laughs> if you look at the rankings of the top ten sites. I remember Lab Bible because we were we were in there, one of the top sites of the world. We were number thirteen. Pornhub, I'm pretty sure, is, is still number one. And to the amount of, imagine being the number one visited website in the world. Wow. And how much power and leverage yeah. you have, use it for good. And to be fair to them, not only is their marketing quite funny, they do do some of these amazing movements yeah, and campaigns. So cool. Because it's like otherwise, what you're doing with that with that reach, like how are you actually impacting in a positive way the mm. world? And I think it's not. You know, it was crazy. I remember being you know, when we were at Lad and like we look at we always in the Manchester office where the social guys who were really the kind of engine of, of the business sat, and they had a screen um, with all the traffic, and you'd see something like 10 million people or something have looked have looked on the site today or something ridiculous. And it was just like every now and then you 
you just get a moment where you're like, oh my God, that's 10 million yeah. people who've seen this content or have seen this website. What are you doing with it? The most viewed thing I've ever had is when Loud Bible shared a, <laughs> one of my compilation videos of me cutting eggs. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. just got so many views. Amazing. But I agree. And I think the other thing that's interesting, because obviously you're coming at it from like a social side, the same as me, is mm. when we hear conversations around Loud Bible and things or people are being dismissive, it's it's the visibility that really takes a lot of the flack, whereas the people that own all the oil companies or mm. that are doing all the really sharky stuff up top that own like all the world's wealth they're invisible and this this new visibility is something which is also changing but do you think it will come away from that because i think at the minute there's this this sharing feeling i don't know if people mm. are starting to regress from that as in people are becoming more into that yeah yeah i, feel, I mean i feel like social media is in a very funny place mm. in terms of it, it you know it was during the i guess 2012 to say 2015 it was a place of real i think dynamic conversation sharing it had a real purpose especially someone like twitter and facebook as well you know and i think now i think instagram which is obviously the primary platform maybe it's just that you know the platforms have changed I mean, instagram isn't exactly a platform for sharing mm. as much it doesn't have the same dialogue functionality that i think a twitter and a, and a facebook even had back in the day and i think it might be it might just be that the platforms have moved away from being around conversation and more to individual sort of posting which leads to uh, you know less dialogue mm. and more individual like look at me That's interesting. Sort of which i think i can see evidence hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, do I think, you know, I th you know what, I think all of this, it's like we're in a, we're in a time when, there's more access, and this is the thing, more access to any to information than ever before. Mm. And I think it's an opportunity to learn about, as you're saying, who owns the oil companies, who owns some of the awful businesses that are polluting the world, who are the leaders in, you know, across the world who are causing damage. And then you can use your your voice and you can use your platforms on social, whether it is, you know, whether you as an influencer with however many hundreds of thousands of people as an or, or an average person having a conversation in the pub with someone, you can create change by by that share. And I think that is that's never been easier. Um, which I think is a massive opportunity for us. Yeah. It, so when we met, I was talking to Jordan about like my career and what I'm doing and he like gave me a bit of advice. And the first thing I said was, will you come on my podcast? <laughs> because what I find really interesting is I think you're absolutely fascinating, so interesting to talk to you, but you don't put yourself in a front-facing mm. role. Is that just something you wouldn't... Have you always been more interested in being the brains behind the machine? I mean, I think I think I am... Um, I, I mean, it might be a, just a personal thing, but I think I... When I was at when I was at Lad and when I was doing stuff, I I was a bit more front facing. I you know I I kind of hosted some things and I did panels and talk you know talks and keynotes and all of that. And I still do some of that to an extent. But I think being in the role that I'm in now and and YMU and obviously representing such amazing talent and such a broad suite of talent, I think it felt natural for me to be behind the mm. talent and not in front. And I think there's something that doesn't quite click around being a manager or being in a management position and also promoting yourself and being on the forefront. And I think maybe that's shifting a little bit as the sort of, you know, industry personality brand becomes mm. stronger and stronger. But I think especially when I started and for the last kind of couple of years now, I've been very much wanting to take myself. I thought so it was a great opportunity just to, I deleted my Instagram, got rid of it. Like I don't post anything. Well, that's what I was saying because I've tried to, <laughs> tried to find you on the gram and stuff <laughs> yeah. and there's not much going on. I mean, on. I used to have it and I used to post and stuff, but I deleted it. I deleted all my Facebook. I deleted all my Twitter. Do you feel I cleansed? Everything. I feel so cleansed. And it, you know what's funny is I think maybe my personality jars with the feeling of being under a spotlight mm. because when I was 14 at school weirdly I deactivated my Facebook account for a year which back in the day was quite a big, big thing because yeah. everyone's on Facebook and Edgy. I deactivated it, it was, yeah pretty <laughs> rebellious and hashtag cool like no I, I deactivated it for a year and it was like the best thing I could have ever done mm. and the same thing with Instagram like now I, I use it because obviously you've got clients and you know it's got to keep up with the blogs and the gossip whatever else but I don't post and I don't have anything on there and it is the most liberating feeling in the world and this is why I always say and I, mean, I know obviously this is what you do but I have absolutely no envy whatsoever yeah. for being in the spotlight and totally. being in a position like and I respect what you do so much because 
it's so difficult. I even found it on a micro level to have that spotlight and to have people judging you and looking at you and I hold my hands up to anyone who can do it. So congrats. <laughs> but thank you. But, but I do think there's two sides. So obviously, it's interesting because as much as I love doing what I do mm. and the way that I get to do that is by being online, another part of me, like the idea of being like actually famous mm. really st- would stress me out. But mm. then like, I also like, I can't really explain it. Yeah. I think the new version of fame is what I don't like. I think I'd mm. love to be like respected and accredited and people to think I'm great Mm. but the culture of celebrity is not something that I wish to like court or like the idea of being papped makes me I'm just like that's horrible yeah and I've seen if you've seen it if you've been around people who are under that public screen Mm. I mean I don't know if you saw the Jay Goody documentary I did that's so sad I mean it was like one of the best things I think Channel 4 have done a long time it was amazing doc but it was brutal and it was it was horrible Mm. on so many levels and I think what was so revealing is that yeah that cult of celebrity she was a she was a great, I guess, example of, of what was to come because I think that exists yes. now in an everyday sense of even people like yourself who, you know, you might not get papped and say Jay Goody did, but you're still under that constant mm. spotlight and you do have a following. And when you've got a following, those are real people. That isn't just a number that says 180,000, however many years. Those are real people there. And I think it's it's a, it's a tough culture to be in because it is all about the personality and it, it caters therefore for a type of person who is willing to put themselves out there and show themselves, which I think for the majority of people, they're not overly confident or comfortable to do even the people who are in that position a lot of them aren't comfortable and I know it because I see it you know why I'm you and you know maybe having the privilege to work with amazing talent it's like it's tough it's not an easy job at all so so with that knowledge and maybe that feeling that Mm. you you recognize how social media could potentially have a negative impact how do you then um, work in this new talent agency so we, we've spoken a lot about having that um, feeling of responsibility mm. and also reconciling this idea that when you do something you also want it to have that like beneficial aid yeah. how do you work in an industry where you know that personally maybe it could impact you negatively do you know what I mean yeah it was almost, it's almost being you know being in favor or being a you know a climate change mm. activist and then working for Shell right is that what you're kind of saying so how do you manage yeah no the- not that extreme more like it's interesting because in a funny way I mm. think what I'm trying to make you say <laughs> because I think it's it's true it's mm. like there are people especially in the talent industries who will champion who will want to talk about social media and things as if it is the most amazing thing mm. and I think that that's a really negative way of doing stuff I think we've got to have a really a holistic approach to viewing it and being like, right, we know it's going to have a negative impact, but it's not mm. going away. And I think what you're trying to, what you bring to it is a very different vision, probably mm. because of your age as well. Like, Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I think social media is a, is, as you say, it's here to stay and there's nothing we can do about that. It is the medium, it is the platform by which we consume our content and we consume our news and we consume our world. And I think it's more, you know, it's in, it's kind of like the early days of smoking, right? When mm. cigarettes came around and everyone was chain smoking because they thought it was good for them. And then it was only 50 years later did people realize actually you know, it's going to give you lung cancer and kill you. And I feel like social is in a similar thing where it is the status quo, it is what it is. And it's how do we, I guess, be conscious enough and aware enough of how we consume it as individuals and how do we impart that down to the next generation, to, to our kids? Because you know, it's only going to get more intense and humans and and technology are becoming more and more interconnected, whether that is through, you know, virtual reality as well or AR or, you know, which is the next wave to come or social. And I think it's how do we be aware enough to know that it cannot, we must not let it if we don't want, if we don't want to let it become our lives. And we keep, we keep boundaries and we keep space and we, and we make sure that we're aware that being on our phones all the time isn't good for us, you know, and being constantly inundated with information, principally, mm. never mind what the information is, isn't good for our brains. And you need space and you need breaks and you need time to be present and to chill and to not be constantly bombarded with stuff. I mean, I think that's the thing that we forget, even if you're flicking yeah. through your Twitter feed or Instagram or TikTok, wherever it is, regardless, even if you're consuming it, it's still information that hits your brain. And I think the buildup of small little micro bits of information after a while can lead to overload, which I think is another reason why people are suffering from a lot of anxiety and, and depression and stress because they feel their brains are getting cluttered with so much stuff that probably half of it, 90% of it, they didn't even really consume, but it's even the visuals and the you know the words and the graphics, whatever it might be, over time builds up to the point where your brain can't take it anymore. Mm. So having the awareness of that and finding ways to alleviate that that space and create and you know create new space for new ideas is you know I think it's one it's a really amazing thought that in order for new ideas to spring you need space and you need you know air and a break and a breather for you to create and to be innovative and I think that can only come with you switching off 
taking time and being present. You know, why do you think meditation's become such an amazing, yeah. such a popular phenomenon as well? There's so many things I want to talk to you about. So <laughs> I don't, I never say, I'm not sitting here across from you like, I'm older than you, but I'm mm. only three years older than you. Mm. And I still think that interestingly, Going back to the point you're saying about smoking, and I read re- this is such a because you you are Gen Z, aren't you? Yeah, just yeah, just uh, 1996 onwards. Yeah. yeah. So even though oh, so even like yeah, I'm only a few years older than you. I still think, as you say, because you grew up just a tiny bit more with that um, mm. access to information, the way that you view things is with so much more maturity. I smoked when I was younger, and I went out and partied when I was 22 all the time, and I I think it's this interesting. It's almost like this old jolly hockey sticks. I still had this. Um, older understanding of that's just tradition that's the way it is and I do think that Gen Z are more pragmatic with information because you're really used to digesting it from mm. taking it in and as back to the other point though I do think that in terms of as you're getting older and you're growing up it mm. is a shame that you're able to learn so much or that we all know so much because I do think that can 100%. be really damaging I was thinking about, weirdly I was thinking about that the other day that it's um, you know and this is something where you know people have fights with their parents about this all the time because because we are we have information at our fingertips in a way that the generation above us don't didn't have and I don't think quite understand just how much information yeah. we have. It's like our knowledge base and what we know and what we can mm-hmm. see and what we can understand and what we can read is infinitely wider and stronger than than anyone of an age who didn't grow up with that. Yeah. Just of of course it is, right? And the kids the kids beneath us are going to be exactly the same. And I think, yeah, it is a bit of weirdly, there would there would be some it would be nice to be ignorant mm. in a sense and just to not worry about shit because because we know so much and we can read into things and you know it's a hyperlinked internet so you go from one thing to the next to the next to the next and immediately you've gone through, you know, hundreds of years of research in five clicks. Your broader, your knowledge base is much broader than than I think we take credit for, but also that comes at a cost. Totally, I just had a bit of an epiphany. I think was it Elon Musk that said the only way that we can like evolve now as humans is if we kind of become computers. Mm. But I was just thinking as you were talking, obviously the way that we're because we can't evolve through like natural selection or sexual selection because of technology. Mm. It's changed so much that those things don't really play a part anymore. Even take a really basic example, if someone has plastic surgery, Mm. your instincts on sexual selection won't be um, actually like representative of what their genes are. It's not a fair marketplace, so to speak. So if we are taking in, so I always thought that when he said that, that meant that we would create the robots and then the humans would die out and they would become Mm. like the real. But actually, is it not that by retraining our brains, by like two-year-olds being on iPads Mm. and we are turning our brains into computers because we're processing information so differently. 100%. I think it's the equivalent of, you know, Intel releasing the i5, i6, and then i7 processor. We're just doing that to our brains by being connected to So now. the kids are like the iPhone 12. Exactly. <laughs> the kids are like the iPhone 12X Max Pro, and we're like the iPhone 4. No, but we're, you know what I mean? It's like we, you're right, it's, a phone is an extension of ourselves yeah. at the end of the day, and I think we sometimes also don't appreciate that, that you know, us being connected constantly means that our brains are connected constantly mm. and it becomes an extension of us. You know, we are closer to technology than I think we all give ourselves credit for. When you go on the tube and you see everyone on their phone, they're all connected yeah. to the world of, in, of of knowledge and the world of information, which is, I think, an amazing thing, but also something that comes at a cost. And I think that, yeah, what Elon Musk meant by that, and I think what the future for all of this is, it's not about technology replacing us, it's about us becoming mm. infused with technology to the point where our brains can, in an instant, find out anything we want. It's like, can this chip processor go in and be connected to our brains so, so much, so, which it already is, in a sense, mm. because it's connected to our hands, but can it become go inside of us? Can it can it be chipped? Can it be... Like, that's the next step, which is kind of terrifying, but then at the same time, they would have said the same thing 100 years ago about what we've got today. Totally. But even without putting a chip in, the more I think about it, we do process information so much quicker. Even I think about how we look at screens and the way that you can take in so mm. much stuff. And it's, it is interesting. I do talk to my mum, and I do realise that I just know so many things about everything which is really pointless mm. but I'm great at a party <laughs> um, what do you what do you imagine like the, the future going forward like what would be your version of because as you say like people find it really scary to imagine mm. AI but obviously someone who's really in that world but also I feel like you do have a positive spin on it which is important because this is the future there's no point being like scared of it well that's it I think um, you know you have two choices, right? You either accept or you live in a sense, in a constant state of distress. And the idea is, and you know, one of the concepts, I mean, I don't know if you know Andrew Yang, who's going for president in 2020. He's um, he's the third most popular amongst people under the age of 35 for a reason. But one of his messages is all about managing technology and, and being embracing of technology, but also um, being aware of the fact that it is coming to take 
a number of jobs and yeah. there are going to be a large proportion of the workforce here and in the States that are going to be completely taken out. And how do you help those people? So what he was talking about is things like a citizen's dividend mm. where, you know, every similar to um, universal basic income, similar concept, or same concept really, we're doing it in the States. And, you know, the concept being that technology will make all these people redundant. What are they then going to do? Is there a workforce? Is there a, an economy for them to work in? I know, I know people say, oh, there will be new jobs, but there's a lot of people who are being outskilled very quickly and you're never going to compete with a machine. But also, d don't forget, on the back of that, the people saying there'll be more jobs, we're already suffering with a crisis of add into that the climate change I mean I read an amazing article in the New Yorker the other day that was basically saying how we need to stop saying how are we going to prevent climate change we need to go what are we going to do because it's coming yeah. and the first thing they said is one of the most important things you need is a functioning and stable government which mm. is going to be um, willing to take in immigration and stuff but mm. if you add in as you say disparity of wealth there are no um, blue collar labour jobs left mm. because again as you say tech's taken over taken a massive influx of immigrants from parts of the, the world that are overheating mm, mm. like the reason that politics right now is so fucking pressing isn't because of whatever the stupid argument about leave remain it's because te technology plus climate change like we're literally just walking towards our own little to be fair though this is why this is happening because mm. this is our own this is going so deep <laughs> but basically what's happening is it's like another way of natural selection as in Completely. we're going to kill off half the population because we won't be able to function there has to be at the minute there's too many of us mm. and it sounds really sick and I'm not saying like I want this to happen mm. it's just a really interesting thought experiment if you actually look at like the bigger picture of what's going on like the biggest thing we can do is try and be kinder and better and, and not because of any woo woo liberal stuff but actually mm. genuinely to survive 100% we won't be able to survive it completely and I feel like this is a very Gen Z phenomenon which is nihilism and yeah. it's this idea of we're all fucked. Yeah. So let's try and make the most out of it. I mean, if you if you look at, um, I always said this when I did talks about Gen Z and, and you know, what what makes them unique. This was a few years ago. But the whole culture of memes, the idea of meme therapy and nihilistic memes. I mean, the nihilism meme page, whatever, is like one of the most popular meme pages because people are aware that everything's screwed and they mm. have no power or control over it. So the power then has to come and say, okay, what do you do in your own life to survive? And how do you make the world a better place for the people around you? Totally. And I think that's the difference. I always said this between, the difference between a millennial and a Gen Z is like the millennials were, you know, the sibling at the dinner table shouting about all the problems going on in the world and trying to, you know, work out why and how and what do we do about it? And Jed says the, the kind of quiet sibling who's just like, you know, looking at that and saying, right, that didn't work. Yeah. You still got Trump, you still got Brexit, you still got climate yeah. change, you still got all these problems. So I think, you know, the Gen Z siblings sitting there being like, well, there's nothing mm. we can do. And I think there's a part of me which I, I guess identifies with that. And I, I do appreciate the the reality that you can fight and fight and fight, but if the forces you're fighting against yeah. are so big, there's something around how do you then focus more on what can I do in my life to the people around me and in my community to make it a better place yeah you know and I think there's something I do think however much that might sound like oh why why'd you give up why are you not fighting more I think for, for certain things I do think it's a very gender phenomenon and I'd look at the the sort of trend and the meme of nihilism which I think is 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 bigger than it's ever been I, I think you're completely right but I also think that um that's not giving up because if everyone helps their immediate people around exactly. them it'd be so much better yeah. it's like when I vote I now think how I vote I'm not voting for me because frankly nothing political is really going to impact me that much apart right. from being a woman unless the handmaid's tale right. happens <laughs> nothing really so if I vote I'm going to vote for who is the lowest common mm. denominator who's going to get fucked in this situation yeah. that's get, who I'm it's almost like we're all fucked but who's going to get, who's fucked, gonna the get the fucked the most and how do I help exactly. them whereas like my parents are like how can I make my taxes better yeah. I'm like but that's so irrelevant but I think we as well even though I'm millennial I still think this the mindset of just people under 30 yeah. I'm just curious I'm like <laughs> yeah. I'm with you I'm still in I'm still in um, is, is more just this collective idea because I don't know mm. it's just I don't even know how I've got onto this but d at 22 right now mm. You're in a position which most people would be like, right, I, I get there when I'm like 40. Mm. Looking forwards, what are your plans for the next like few years apart from nihilism and what just chilling? Plans? <laughs> Life plans, general any, career plans, yeah. any plans. Well, I didn't even know if I told you this, but you know I'm married. No. Yeah. Although I did just look at your hand. Yeah. And you know my wife's pregnant. Which no. Saying, yeah. In 7th of Jan, G-Day. <gasps> it was all a bit mental, but... Yeah, that's so exciting. I was like, yeah, yeah, but I, but I think so. In, and I think your this, your life is just you're just doing stuff quicker. Yeah, but I, and I think it's you know that's what I'm going to be doing. It's like being a dad. Yeah, and it, you know what? It I think it it's all part of this bigger picture, really, which is that 
work is amazing and work is great. And as you say, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough and in a position where I've been able to do loads of different stuff and, you know, get through different industries and be exposed a lot and have an amazing network and meet loads of people, all that sort of stuff. I've had great experiences and I've loved every minute of it. But on a more sort of deeper spiritual level and not more a cosmic level, if you will, it's like, what's the purpose of life? Mm. Right? What, am I, what am I here to do? And I've really come to understand that for me, in my world, that purpose is family, it's kids. And I feel like that is, the for me, the ultimate fucking purpose and the ultimate dream. And I think, you know, and maybe it's a thing of, all right, because I've done what I've wanted to do um, up to this point in a work sense, it's almost like, what's next? Mm. That is, that for me, that is the thing. And... You know, it's all, it, and I'm so grateful to work and, you know, for the jobs that I've had and the places I've been and the people I've been able to work with. But all of it is still, for me, a means to that end. And I feel like that's where, yeah, that's where I've come to, to the point where, you know, work will always, work will always be fun. I'll always be able to do stuff. I'll always be able to, if I ever wanted to start another business or go into partnership or do whatever, I've, I've, I'm in a position to do that, um, which means that I can be relatively fearless in the way that I work and the way that I operate which is great and it's a good position to be in but ultimately it's a means to an end it's a game that we play and family is the fucking real deal totally first of all congratulations this is so cute and I'm so excited for (laughs) you you. and second of all you're 100% right the most important thing for anyone even if you think you're the most um, insular person ever Mm. is human connection this is what we're all craving Mm. but we're fucked over by capitalism (laughs) because we just want to work (laughs) and we need money like if we Mm. could all just live and did these as you say, these obstacles, these games of life didn't exist, mm. then it'd be fine. But we live so long that we've had to make up basically The Sims. Completely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, but yeah. I, I 100% agree. I think that having real good friends around, mm. as I get older, this is all I think about. I'm just mm. like having good relationships Completely. and good. And that's it. And you know what? It's like, what's for me, What what's the ultimate relationship other than the relationship you have with a wife and a kid? Like mm. that is, that for me is like everything. And I think it comes back to the concept of, however nihilistic this sounds, you're not going to necessarily change the world on a macro scale, but what can you do in your own life? Mm. And so for me, this was something in my own life that that is it, it makes a lot of sense and gives me all the purpose and, and drive, I think, in, in the world, really. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's about relationship, it's about connection. And, and I think that's the thing that work often often makes people forget is that you can drive and drive and drive in a career, but it's like, you know, you've been trying to do this for 20 years and you're a midweight marketing manager. It's like, is it worth it? Is I wasn't expecting you to say that. I was like ready for you to be I like, I okay, that spoiler, like, 25, I'm going to be, I'm going to have my whole own company. And then by 30, I'm going to like own the UK. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then America, no. Yeah. I um, Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I thought I'd drop that as a bit That's of a cool. I enjoyed that. But it's... Um, yeah. a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> Life spoiler. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's not about that. I think all the, you know, like work will always be fine because I enjoy it and I I think you know there's a you know you always got to move for the times whatever I'll be doing in 10 years mm-hmm. might be completely different to what I'm doing now but at the end of the day I'll be doing what I think where I think I can add value it'll probably be in the world of brand building to some capacity I've kind of found that theme mm-hmm. and that theme I'm happy to run with but I think from a sort of life perspective, it's all of the personal stuff that's more important. Do you know what? You're right as well. Because I think, you, as you say, like your career will be fine because you did get that head start. By mm. starting at 17, you've got it figured out now. Whereas I only started properly working like two years ago. Now mm. I'm like, oh, I kind of get it now. But mm. as you say, it's like taking, not going to uni isn't going to hold you back. It might, I don't come back to that point, but it might just actually propel you and let you live your life 100%. a bit quicker. And that's what I've always, and that's what I've always thought. And, and you know, it really has, for me in my life, been been crystal clear that that's the biggest reason why I'm able to do what I do is because I took a leap when I was 17 to drop out and Mm. start full-time job advice and you know wherever that job might have been the principle of not spending three years getting smashed going to lectures that I didn't think added any value coming out with a two two one or whatever from Kings because I was pissing around half the time you know and I feel slightly attacked I did do all of (laughs) those I'm so like, you know, no, I'm joking. I, I look, but also, like, you, you look at what you're doing now yeah. and you're killing it. And but it's I did like, this, to be fair. The reason I'm doing this is because I had time at uni to, like, exactly. start a side hustle. And none, I'm not using my degree right now. Let's what did you study again? English literature. Right. I mean, I kind of am, but I haven't gone into, like, a normal... If anything, I've, I'm doing the job that I kind of wanted to do, but I've done mm. better at it because I haven't gone to do journalism. I didn't do a master in anything else. Right. And I've got a bigger audience in a, as doing broadcast journalism than I ever would have done if I'd gone and done a master's and then gone to work for a newspaper. Completely. And I think, yeah, you've... you've was it also, what, what's funny is that uni isn't actually the end road for most people, as you say. 
bachelor's degree. Yeah. We're the, I think about four or five people I know from a circle of however many who are going to do a master's and are starting in September or yeah. have already done one. And actually for a lot of people, I feel like now, for the people who have the luxury to do so, they're like, right, I need that extra security oh, yeah. again. And I didn't realize that. I was like, shit, hold on, but you're going back. <laughs> this is a new This is a new thing though, I think because almost everyone has, it was so saturated that now like a master's, you have to do a master's, set your side and you have to have, to have to have everything else. It is a risk, don't get me wrong. Like I've, I'm not employed by anyone, so I, my, mm salary is really lumpy but then if it all goes tits up like you can get I don't know I actually do agree with you now but what's <laughs> but what's but this is the thing this is another thing right that I think is I mean it's evident in so many people I speak to life isn't meant to be easy no and that's the thing that people don't seem to get I think our generation has and the generation maybe that I'm on the end of it has a challenge with understanding that life is hard. Like, like no one said life was a fucking walk in the park and you'd yeah. be able just to crack on and enjoy yourself and every day was going to be happy sunshine rainbows and you'd be able to walk in, get a job that pays you 100k a year and crack and like and just everything would be a breeze. It's like life is life is life. Like, I think influence culture is partly responsible for that though because they think that people watch these aspirational lives as like almost like porn. They were saying that um, <laughs> people like people are so obsessed with people doing up their houses and buying houses like vloggers that are twelve yeah. because they never will be able to buy a house so you're actually it's so aspiring 100%. so I think that the problem is it's this it goes back down to this disparity thing which mm. is really difficult is we have one of the sketches we've got massive problems with poverty mm. and then huge not the influence of this tool it's more like the billion dollar old money oil yeah. companies yeah. but that huge disparity in wealth is causing this disjunct where people are like there isn't any middle ground anymore. So, hundred percent, it is confusing. More and also, the problem is, is that like YouTube and and the influencer world, so to speak, is all self made. So you've got mm. people who are regular, normal people. It's not like in the traditional celebrity world where you'd have to be handpicked by you know a studio yeah. or a brand to be the you know to be a star. Nowadays, anyone in theory can be a star and can grow and, and, and build an audience and then be able to afford the house. And that makes it harder for people to realize because it's one in a million who mm. can really fucking do that, to be honest. And the challenge is that kids now grow up and they're the, the number one wanted job in the world is to be an influencer. I, and, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that's not I would not say right. if I don't want to be an influencer anymore, I'm like coming away from it. I'm mm. still going to be online, but I don't want to be that traditional sense of having peeped through the curtain and seen like, if I'd done certain things, I definitely could have worked towards getting a certain kind of following, making a certain mm. kind of money. And I, the, the, as you say, the cost in that, you would not believe. Like, it, I don't think it's worth it. For anyone out there that thinks they want to be an influence, I think if you fall upon it and you mm. get really good and people follow you, mm. but I really wouldn't, I just think, maybe that sounds really preachy, but I would just say, it's not, the grass is never greener. No. I think I, I think yeah. there'll be a huge backlash in the next like 10 years. I think it's a house of cards. The whole industry is a house of cards and it's about to fall. And yeah. I can see that happening. I can see not only from a mental health perspective, but from an, from an economy perspective. Mm. I think brands are realizing that influencers, quote unquote influencers, can have a role to play. But I don't think that the wide or net of the economy which has existed whereby if you had a certain amount of followers you can make a shit ton of money yeah. I don't think that's really going to exist anymore and it's going to force people out there Yeah. Um, just pu purely because of saturation there are so many people out there how do you keep above what which is why you know and this is what was so great about our conversation the other day it's like okay you've got a platform how do you then build your own economy how do you mm. then own your own business your own brand how do you create ventures that use that that add value to that world that you've built if you've built if you've got a community of a hundred and something thousand people following you who you know you've got a good engagement rate and got people who really love what you do and love you how do you add value to those people's lives yeah. how do you not see it as you're trying to you know you're taking brand money to then try and sell those people shit they don't need how do you actually speak to those people and ask right look with what i've got and the brand that i've built around your personality how can i create something for you how can we create our own space how can we talk about things how, i mean this is what you've done with your podcast mm. so brilliantly, and it's why i have endless respect for you and i think you, you absolutely smashed it because it's like you know, you have a following that's built around a brand that's yours that you mm. own. And that IP around adulting, that brand that you've got, that you can take that, forget the platform. If Instagram dies tomorrow, you'll be fine. Yeah. And that's the difference. I always say to people, and this is what, you know, whenever I speak to clients or speak to, you know, social first talent, if you will, it's what would happen if Instagram died tomorrow? Would you be okay? Yeah. The vast majority so of people would not be. And the 1% who will, they're the ones who'll fly and have great careers because even if they didn't have Instagram, they would have, they would be, they would be all right. And they could still, but you could still, you could take adulting global into the biggest international brand in the world if you wanted without social media. And that's the difference. So you can't see when I'm blushing. <laughs> that's so nice. It's, you know, it's lovely. And I think that people need to see more insight into 
because the point of influence culture as well to sell you the dream so you're yeah. meant to think it looks fucking great but actually it's really problematic for people to think that 100% and you know it is a dream and I think a lot of kids are growing up and, re- and thinking that it's some attainable thing because the challenges I'm saying it's like kids are filming with the same cameras now as their favourite influencers people people's content looks the same people yeah. can upload themselves it's like YouTube's great and I love you know it's an amazing platform and it's taught me endless things and you know giving me you know, a ton but the reality of it is it's caused this weird dichotomy between kids growing up looking at their favorite stars who are just like us hey guys how's mm-hmm. it going but and then thinking that that's attainable when it's not and it creates this really weird thing where kids are then again delaying and delaying and delaying starting something that they're really good at and they can excel in because they think that you know oh well if I can do it then I can do it and mm. that's not the case literally talk to you all day can we do this again sometime? we can definitely do this Great. again do a part um, if we want to if we want to find you can, they, can find people find you or, or oh, I mean, you don't you're just no, under I, the radar you know now. what I'm pretty, yeah I'm pretty behind I mean look I, I have a link I have a fucking LinkedIn I guess <laughs> that's all I have to offer is a LinkedIn Um, but yeah like to be fair if anyone wants to email me if anyone wants to talk like that's probably more useful it's like my email I mean my my email is jordan.er.schwartz at gmail.com my personal one just fucking drop me like because a lot of people I speak to they need just another opinion and some advice and like if anyone's young and they're going through some stuff and they need help in navigating especially the creative industries which which I know really well honestly I'll I'll make time for anyone so just give me a shout you are so good Jordan like said one sentence to me and I was like I know what I'm going to do now (laughs) (laughs) so good thank you so much coming on it's been my absolute pleasure I've absolutely loved this thanks so much for listening guys I'll see you soon bye